It is the Road Trip Show, and we are back with Diederik, and we're just doing a little bit of a recap on the Kruger Park. We have podcasts in the past that you can go listen to uh, more in depth. Um, Yeah, so we're just doing a little bit of a recap on those. Uh, So to all the listeners, hope you enjoy this one. Diederik, over to you. How's it, Gerald? Good, man. Good, good. Well, I think we're we still, we still up in the northern section of the park, the more remote areas. We covered a bit of Crook's Corner and Punta Maria and some of the settlements and history up that part of the side. But we also, again, we, 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 we tend to forget that the park is relatively new or this section of the park is, 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 then it's a, this section of the park, the northern part is a lot newer as a park than down further south. And yes. Shingwezi is also one of those most stunning camps. Pure, beautiful, big, riverine trees next to the restaurant, and just even sitting on the on the deck there in the restaurant, watching the watching the animals, and you're never disappointed. There's always there's always some some baboons playing in the river there, and there's some saddleable storks normally that's fishing fishing there for the last for the last couple of catfish and stuff. Barbel in the river. There's normally elephants down in the riverbed. So it's just one of those really really stunning spots. And the the camp itself is also one of those good quiet ones. And one of the best drives to do out of out of Shingwezi is down to an area called Red Rocks. Now Red Rocks is you gotta head a little bit south of the camp, and then the Red Red Rocks is out down it's down towards a camp called Batelier, which is one of the little private like Bushveld camps. So you can't take the road all the way down to Batelier. But Red Rocks is situated um, right on on one of the the main waterways there, and it's a little sandstone. It's, 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 it is a, a sand sandstone sandstone reef, and sandstone just like and reefs and stuff, old waterways and. Uh, mineral deposits was a site for some gold prospecting and a guy right up until 1920 was actually still prospecting for gold there at this little spot called red rocks okay and that again kind of it's a bit of a mind shift change because when you stand there and you go oh wow this is pristine bush felt etc etc well in 1920 people were mining for gold day so <laughs> It was an American guy, an American guy. Americans seem to feature the side of the park for whatever strange reason. And we'll get to the other American just now. But the guy there by the name of Bill Lusk from Texas, a Texan, made his name there and seemed to make a bit of money uh, panning and digging digging for gold at the little spot called Red Rocks. But that's a stunning drive from Shinguezi down to Red Rocks and back again. It's one of those like little afternoon or early morning drives that's easily doable. But out of Shinguezi, if you take the other road and you actually follow the the main river down past the Kanidua Dam, we've chatted about the Kanidua Dam before, that they've actually breached the Kanidua Dam because one of those dams that was holding water where normally there wasn't water. We, we, we went into that at the, at the one point with all the windmills and stuff. I don't know if you remember that discussion we had. Yes. The rare the the antelope and the predators coming in and all the rest of that kind of story. But if you keep on going down that down that road, you eventually come to a little weird little spot called Depeni, the Depeni Outpost. And there's a little like bath there, and then there's a little 
stone memorial marker thing with a little plaque on it. And that dates back to 1938. So, again, you know, we're not talking that long ago. Yes. It's right on the border with Mozambique. And it's a funny little thing because it was actually used to disinfect illegal immigrants. Okay. Now, the, the picture, the picture okay. that you're getting now is, is, is kind of weird that you can, that you're getting these guys coming in from Mozambique into South Africa as illegals. And yeah. even in modern, modern time now, I mean, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I was, I was traveling from, Zambia, Vic Fallside into Botswana to go to the Chobe, to go to the Chobe National Park. And we had to go through a disinfection process for foot and mouth disease. Okay. And I, I just had the funniest picture in my mind, a bunch of naked people getting dipped. <laughs> well, that's what it was. That's exactly what it was. And foot and mouth disease now, I mean, you, your, your car goes through a little chemical bath, so it disinfects all the tires. You have to get out of the car, and you have to put your shoes into a chemical bath as well. Yeah. So, so they've got like a mat or some hessian sacks or something that are soaked in in whatever this, is, this, this stuff is, probably chlorine or something. But you then actually have to stand there and make sure that everything on the bottom of your shoes is disinfected, the tires are disinfected. Because obviously the thought process is that foot and mouth is carried in sand or in dust or in something, stones that are now being transported. So this little dipping bath here in Kruger is exactly the same thing, that they would actually make people walk through that dipping bath yeah, to make sure that there wasn't any foot and mouth. But it just, like you say, the... The, the the mental picture it brings up of these poor guys slogging through the bush trying to get into South Africa. They get caught and now they suddenly just put into this bath and get disinfected. It's, it's a kind of a, a bit of a <laughs> jarring picture. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but those, that was the realities. I mean, guys are streaming and still streaming over, over the border. But then your yeah. next, your next spot as you're coming down through the park or heading south, like you're down up, I mean, there doesn't be, when you're heading south down through the park is you actually get to the Tropic of Capricorn. And again, a lot of people don't realize that you're in the tropics. You're in tropical Africa when you're in the yeah. northern, northern part of Kruger. You know, when you're on the N1 heading up to, heading, heading north to Zimbabwe out of Johannesburg, you cross the Tropic of Capricorn. Yeah. And you then in tropical Africa. Then it's Africa. not bushfelt anymore. Yeah, you're in tropical Africa. And uh, just for those people that don't, that don't know about it, it is the point, the tropics, is where, for example, on the 21st of December, it's the summer solstice, which means 12 o'clock noon is when the sun is directly overhead that spot. That's where they get the tropics from. Yes. Okay, then from there, heading a little bit further south, you then get to another spot called Bowker's Cop. Again, one of those little prominent landmarks. And this was, again, in the late 1800s, a favorite camping spot of a couple of the earlier early pioneers in there. And 
It was it was two guys. It was a Miles Miles Robert Bowker and his brother Alec. But the interesting characters who used to camp there were Charlie, um, were Fred and Harry Barber. And guess what? Okay. Harry Barber, the name Barberton, comes from these two characters. They founded the town uh-huh. of Barberton, which is where the first, there we go. which is where the first stock exchanges in South Africa were built, and that huge gold strike and the whole Barberton gold rush. Ah, yes, I remember that. Comes yeah. from these guys, and that's why that's got a little memorial plaque on it to actually um, commemorate these two characters. As you're then coming further and further south, you're now almost at um, Lataba, the Lataba camp. But just north of Lataba is an interesting one. Is a little spot called the Das Neves Cross or Das Neves Cross. And you've got to look for it and I I eventually found it even before they put up the little memorial um, stone and and little plaque there. And and I I honestly I struggle to pronounce this guy's name, but it's believed it is believed that it's it's a Portuguese trader, Diocletiano Fernandes das Neves. (laughs) That's a mouthful. I'm not Portuguese, and I apologize if I did not pronounce that correctly. But 1850s, 1860s, he was actually trading through that area. And by all reports, this was one hell of a character. He He had over 200 or 250 people in his entire entourage. Well, Okay. As as he as he meandered through these areas, hunting and trading, getting ivory, etc. Now that's that's what the cross has been attributed to. They're not entirely sure. Um, the other theory is that it was actually carved by somebody who worked for a guy of the name of Joao Albacini. Now Joao Albacini, we'll meet when we when we're talking down. Um, about the really far southern part of the park. He was a Portuguese trader that set up very close to Numbi Gate. And that's a lot further south in the park. So they're not entirely sure where, the, where this one comes from, but it's very visible. It's a carved thing in the in the bark of a big leadwood tree on the little river road just north of, of Lataba. And again, this is sort of interesting to sit there and you go, this guy sat there and he had 200 people with him. Yeah. And the luggage that's, and the crates and the, and the clothes and the sedan chairs and carrying ivory and the food. And I mean, mind boggling. Yeah. When you go camping with a family of five or six people, it's a mission. This guy went camping with 200. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little army. Yeah, yeah. And before you actually cross the Lataba River, there's another road on the northern bank of the of the Lataba River that goes off to a nice little little viewpoint. And there's a little, kind of a little lonely grave there, and it's a lady by the name Anna Liederbur, and she was the wife of one of the very first game rangers of the park, guy by the name of. Um, Leonard Henry Lederbur. She died of malaria. She's buried there. Um, other than that, there's not much historical significance. But again, 
you know, you go there and you look these early, these early rangers, you're talking the 19, you know, the early 1900s, 1930s, 1940s, you know, you're living in a little, yeah. little mud hut, no, no proper communication and stuff. Yeah. Kind of, kind of interesting. Kind of interesting. Yeah. But yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, never mind. I just thought of something else. <laughs> I'll send it to you later. Ah, okay. <laughs> and the Taba camp is not really a historical site. The Taba camp is always worth, worth stopping at just to go visit um, what they call the elephant museum there. But I think that's, that's being, we've covered that one as well. But if you take the river road out of Lataba and you're now heading down towards Olifant's camp, you're heading out down that side. You get down to the Engelhardt Dam and the Engelhardt Dam is named after a guy that Charles William Engelhardt. Okay. And again, your mind has got to work on this one. He was a U.S. Air Force bomber pilot. He somehow found okay. his way to South Africa after the war. He served as the chairman of the Rand Mines Group. Oh. So, obviously, very, very prominent in Johannesburg and the Witwatersrand and the days of the gold mining. And he actually donated money for the construction of the dam there on the Lataba River. So that that's where the Engelhardt name comes from. Yes. If you then take that other road and you're now heading out towards the Palabora Gate, you then pass that little spot that I chatted to you about, the Masserini Archaeological Site. Now, Masserini is that spot where I found that little glass bead. And it's a late, it's a late Iron Age site. It's a late Iron Age settlement. And someone there, always the chief Masarimi, set up a huge iron, iron foundry, iron tool making business in that, in that area. And these guys apparently built up a thriving little industry and a thriving community and a thriving economy selling iron implements out of, yes. out of, out of that village. And you can take a walk up through the village has been sort of dug out and excavated. And it's a very, very interesting little, little, little walk up there. You can see the old fireplaces and smithies and foundries and places where they put the bellows and, and all the rest of it. Oh, that must be nice. And the name. The name, um, obviously, uh, from from Masarini, but the people or the people name or the tribal name there is the Ba Palaborwa, and that's where the name of Palabora comes from. Okay. And Palaborwa, Palaborwa actually means better than the south. Oh, yes. I remember now. Yeah. And an interesting idea on this one, I'm not sure if it's 100% correct, but my information says that the name Palabora actually came from the demise of Great Zimbabwe. When Great Zimbabwe imploded, there were refugees that fled from Great Zimbabwe. Now we 
in the realm of 1400, mid 1400s, maybe early 1500s. No one's sure exactly when Zimbabwe collapsed. But these refugees headed off south into South Africa. And they went a lot further south in Palabora, hit some serious malaria, turned around and came back and had enough knowledge of geology, et cetera, to realize that the rocky outcrops and stuff around Palabora obviously held iron and um, other minerals. And that's where they settled and then built up this thriving little industry. And uh, that's where that name Palabora comes from. And there are links, again, between that Palabora. There's links with it through to um, Maserini, or not Maserini, to, um, oh, my goodness, my memory my memory's gone. Mapungubwe up, in the, up in, um, on the border with Zimbabwe and Botswana, that settlement up that side. There's links yes. and there's speculation that they also linked to the um, the rain queen, Mojaji. We covered her story. Oh yes, in yeah. one of the one of the podcasts as well. And that's not too far away. Palabora Mojaji's Kloof is close. Yes. So again, and the legend of the rain queen is also that she was a refugee from Great Zimbabwe. Okay. And that story is beautifully told in T.B. Bulpin's book, um, The Ivory Trail, which is the life and history of Bivakenya. So if you're looking for a good piece of Africana, um, go find T.B. Bulpin's book called The Ivory Trail, which is all about Bivakenya and his adventures and his setup and the history of that area. It's an absolutely stunning, stunning book to read on the early history of South Africa. So that, that, that sort of takes us now through, let's call it the northern part of the park, because, again, the the, the um, Olifants River is generally regarded as the break between northern park and the southern southern section of the park, was, or, or north and central, which we've yes. now, we've kind of, we've kind of covered the, the, the spots above that river. And if you're coming down that main road, coming down, this is heading south down there. <laughs> <laughs> there's an interesting again there's quite an interesting little little spot and you're on that um Timbavati Road. I don't know if we've spoken about the Timbavati Road. I think we've spoken about Yeah, I think we road. did touch on it. And just north of the Timbavati picnic site, there's a little memorial plaque. And it's at a place called, it's called the Piet Grobler Plaque, and it's at the Piet Grobler Dam. And okay. it's, it's the biggest concrete dam in the park, and I don't know if that really um, means much, but uh, constructed in 1988. But there's a little plaque there, and you've got the face of Piet Grobler there. And the interesting part is that he's also on a memorial in Skakuza at the main reception of Skakuza because he's considered to be one of the three founder members of Kruger, Okay. So he's a, he was the former, former Minister of Lands in General J.B.M. Herzog's cabinet. He was also the great nephew of President Paul Kruger, so I think there was a little bit of favoritism there, but that's beside the point. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but um, 
He's the guy that actually put the National Parks Bill together. And that's why he's the an important what? that's why he's an important character here. Because we didn't have national parks. Oh yes. National, the, the concept of national parks actually comes out of the USA and Teddy Roosevelt actually pioneered the idea of national parks. And South Africa adopted that idea that once once oh. something's a national park, it is actually inviolate. It's in the constitution that once something is a national park, you may not touch it for any reason yes. whatsoever in perpetuity. And that's the difference between a provincial park and a nature reserve, et cetera, et cetera, and a national park. Yeah. Because once something a national park, it's there forever. So the National Parks Bill only sort of came into came to fruition in 1926. And it, again, interesting one that was done on the 31st of May. Now, that's again one of those little dates. Remember 31st of May? Yeah. End of end of Anglo Boer War, thirty first of May. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and that bill made it possible for the national parks to be established and made it possible for the Kruger Park to become a national park. And that's around that time is exactly when the Shingwezi Game Reserve and the Sabi Game Reserves and the corridor land between the two came together to form basically what um now forms 85 90% the modern borders of Kruger. Yes. So that's why our Mr. Pete Krobler is there looking out over his own personal little dummy key. Um <laughs> <laughs> in 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 the park. But it, 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 he's a it, he's a he's a great figure and obviously quite a historically important character to commemorate. As we then go further and further and further south in the park, I think we've got time for one more, one more little spot here. And it kind of ties in with, with Pete Krobler because there's a little spot called the Rabelais Hut. Now that's on the main road or just off the main road as you drive from Satara to Orpengate. And, um, that used to be the gate to Kruger. However, now the gate is a lot further along the road and then you hit the gate and then, the, then there's another gate even further along the road because those are all lands that were donated to Kruger. And I think we chatted about Eileen Orpen and a donation of the farms to the Kruger Park. Yes. She's commemorated in, a, in the actual Orpen camp. But the Rabelais hut is now preserved as a little mini little museum. There's a couple of old photographs in there and a little information center, but it's a tiny little hut. And you can, you look at it, you go, wow, some guy actually lived there. There's no windows in it. It's hot and it's gloomy and it's sticky. And, <laughs> and again, you know, you, 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 got to look at that and you're going, wow, hang on. You know, some guy actually lived here. And wild animals around you on your own, or there's two of you in this little in this little hutty thing, and you're going, "Hang on, that was a whole different, different, different mission." But then a little bit, a little bit further down the road, as you're heading out now towards the west, you actually get to the camp of Open Open Camp. Also, a stunning little camp, beautiful at night. It's you got a little flood floodlit waterhole in front of the in front of the huts, and it's one of the camps I stayed in. I, I think we did that nine day trip podcast and I stayed in with my clients there 
And yes. as we checked in, that was our entrance gate. We, we were spending the first night in open. I hadn't even gone through reception yet. And my clients are at the fence looking at elephants at the waterhole right outside the camp. And I mean, they, they just blew them away. That's, you know, you come yeah. out of, you're coming out of the USA and you go to Kruger and bang right there. First thing, elephants at the waterhole right outside your house. Yeah. But there's a little open memorial in, in open camp. And it was erected by the what was then called the Wildlife Protection Society, South Africa, and it's in honour of um, Mr. and Mrs. Orpen. And a guy by the name of Gil Fallon unveiled that that little plaque in 1955 because they donated seven farms, okay, seven farms, 24.5,000 hectares of land was donated to Kruger. It's still rates it's still sure. the biggest donation ever um of land to the Kruger National Park. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. And I mean that that made a huge difference. That's a lot of land and a lot of space that, that got given. And that's obviously then where the name Open comes from. Open camp, open gate, etc. But there's that little plaque in the camp there that actually commemorates that. And that that, that that's again it's kinda of, kinda of cool to think that someone is so dedicated to the nature conservation that you actually hand over that amount of money. Yes. And Eileen, I mean, Eileen Orpen eventually died in, um, in 1954. And interesting enough, her husband died four days after her. So obviously a very, very oh. cool couple. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that takes us through. Wow. We've come, we've covered what almost well over half the camp or half or half the park. But we're getting to the place now where there's a lot more history in the southern side of the park. And I think that's going to take us probably another two podcasts to cover. So uh, yes. I think it's time to sign out of this one. And then we go down. And obviously a couple of the interesting ones is we actually hit Louis Tuchart. We hit um, uh, Harry Voliter, Harry Voliter, the lion guy. Oh, yes, yes. We touched on him. And now a whole lot of foot tricker stuff, Anglo-Boer war stuff. Jock of the Bushveld features now down south here as well. So I think that's going to take up another two podcasts. But I see we've hit our 25 minutes or so. So let's end this one. And we'll see you again later. Cool stuff. Till next time. Till next time, guys. Signing out.